Okay, let's draw our prayers to a close. Thank you. It's, um, it's really good to pray for all of that, isn't it? It's a hugely significant ministry area. And um, we notice it, don't we, when all the youth go out or when all the kids go out, the kids are having their party, and obviously this time of year it's summer mode, and so lots of people are away on holiday, and we don't get the full sense of everyone who's part of the All Saints swirl. But one of the really exciting, important things is ministry with, to, and through young people. And I'd love to encourage you to pray for it, pay for it, um, serve with your time. Um, We really, really feel like part of our call as a church is to lead out on that um, and to set the agenda um, with others. So please get behind Joe and the team. That would be brilliant. Um, we are, as I say, in summer mode, and we're very aware that lots of people come and go, and, uh, but we're working our way through this book, uh, the Letter to the Philippians teaching series called Choose Joy, and it's been so encouraging to hear from a number of you about how it's been helpful, and if you've missed bits, they're all online, as you know, uh, audio or video, and uh, we're exploring what um, some people call the joy book, hence the title Choose Joy. Paul, in this letter to the church, over and over and over again, talks about joy, 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 choosing joy. And uh, it's interesting, a friend of mine who's a a church leader in America, his church is doing a series right now called Defiant Joy, looking at the letter to the Philippians. So I realized we're not the only ones doing it. And it's it's a letter, I said this last week, that's really helpful for us in this moment in time, because it invites us to make a choice over and over again, despite our circumstances, despite the fact that actually we live in a moment in human history where it's all very volatile, where it's all changing all the time, where we actually can feel quite powerless and quite confused, and we're aware, aren't we, for example, of political change yet more, oh my goodness, Um, whatever your views on that might be. Uh, We're aware that the COVID rates are going back up, and we are watching that, and we'll be keeping touch on that front. We're aware, aren't we, that there's a war going on in Ukraine that seems to be intractable but signals the end of one era in terms of geopolitics and the start of another. And in the midst of all of that, here we are as the people of God, very conscious that we're entrusted with this message of reconciliation, this call to live out the things of the kingdom in and through our life together as a church for the sake of the world. And yet it's confusing. And it doesn't seem very welcomed most of the time. Increasingly, we find ourselves, don't we, kind of going, you know, what does the world think of the church? And yet, probably more than ever, it's a time for us to be prophetically defiant. Because, Paul would say, of this deep joy that's in us, because of who we are in Christ, despite our circumstances. And if you know anything about the church in Philippi at the time that he was writing, they had a similar thing going on. They found themselves in this world that was increasingly hostile to Jesus, uh, all sorts of opposition and challenge. And yet his encouragement to them is stand your ground, stay the course, don't lose sight of the heavenly prize of life in its fullness with Jesus that he saved you for, that you can begin to live into now in faith through the Spirit. It's what we were looking at last week, this idea that uh, we choose joy by choosing Jesus, that when we pursue the way of Jesus, Often, uh, most, uh, uh, often it's most hard when we're struggling and suffering, and yet actually it's in those moments we looked at that we experience joy in a profound way. That's the way of Jesus. And Paul actually says that. You embrace the sufferings of Jesus uh, as one of the ways in which you live into this life of joy. 
And so uh, Paul picks up on where we got to last week in today's teaching text, which we'll come to in a moment. Sue's going to read it shortly, which is the second half of Philippians chapter 3. Before we get to that, I just want to kind of set something of what I think Paul is getting at in today's text. If the encouragement last week was uh, to choose joy, to be people who do this cost-benefit analysis, we looked at that, do you remember, of saying, actually, the cost is really high, but the benefits outweigh the cost. He talks in slightly different language. He talks about profit and loss. He says that everything else, everything else in this life is loss compared for the gain, the profit of knowing Jesus. You make this profit-loss analysis, cost-benefit analysis, and you choose it over and over again, despite often our circumstances. If that was the kind of summary of last week's text, this week's would be something along the lines of don't give up. Don't compromise. Don't be distracted. I was rereading a book that's on my bookshelf called Adventures in Missing the Point. It's a 20-year-old Christian book. It's brilliant. Adventures in Missing the Point. And essentially, Brian McLaren, the author, um, who I would disagree with on lots of things now, but at the time was really helpful, makes the point that the church is spectacularly good at missing the point, getting distracted all the time, getting divided over the wrong things, and getting uh, kind of um, confused as to who they are. He talks in there about spiritual amnesia. We forget who we are. We forget our own story. And Paul is directly addressing that and saying, don't lose, your, don't lose your perspective. Don't give up, despite all of the temptations and the opposition. And the encouragement of Paul to us, uh, as well as to the church in Philippi, is not just to hang on and wait passively for the future prize. You know, just hunker down, be kind of nice people in the corner, holy and kind of some semi-happy and just, you know, do the odd bit to bless people, but kind of duck for cover when the world around us goes mad. He says, no, 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 press on, lean in, serve, proclaim Jesus, go the extra mile, love people radically, model something different by the way you gather people around your table, by the way you gather in this place, by all the things you do. Press on because you have a confidence in you, because you know who you are and you know whose you are and you know where we're heading and you know how the story ends. And actually it's already been achieved for us in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And even when people all around you seem resistant, be confident that God's at work in and through you because that's how he is going to transform and renew all of history. Press on. It's not hang on, it's press on. Press on each and every day making that choice to choose joy. For us, yes, remember Jesus says, make my joy complete in you by choosing me. But also that so uh, through us, God can do this deep transforming work that the world desperately needs. So are you with me so far? Brilliant. Sue is going to read um, this last section. I'm just going to find a microphone. Um, sorry. There we go. Thank you, Sue. So we're Philippians 3, starting at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on 
towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers and sisters, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. So um, you can see, if you were here last week particularly, you'll recall there's a kind of connection. We overlap a bit of the text there to kind of get our um, brains back on track. Paul here is basically saying, I told you how I've done it, and now I'm urging you to copy my example, to imitate me. And he urges them to do two things. The first thing he says in verse 15 is that we should have the same view of things as he does literally the same mindset. And if you recall Philippians 2, where he talks about Jesus having the very mind of God, kind of the mind of Christ being this way of seeing as God sees. Paul's saying, have the same mindset that I do. Think about this in the same way that I do. And, and the debate around exactly what he means here, it goes on and on and on in the theological commentaries. But the general sense here would be that literally he's wanting people to understand that, that we should think about this as being as important as he sees it that it is this demanding, but this worth it, rather than all the intricacies. It's not about all agreeing on every doctrinal subpoint beyond a subpoint beyond a subpoint, which is where the church just goes round and round in circles and forgets what it's there for. He's saying, no, no, just make sure you, do you see it? Have the same mindset. Do you get who you are? Do you get why you're here? If you do, go for it. So that's the first encouragement. Uh, and he says this, doesn't he? All of us then who are mature should take such a view of these things. The word there for mature, it's not about age, obviously. He's talking about spiritual maturity. In other words, one of the indicators, he would say, is that, you've, that you've come to the degree of spiritual maturity is that you do see it like that, that you've understood the heartbeat of all of this. The second encouragement is in verse 17, where he says, join together in following my example. One of the ways we live out this joy life is doing it together, joining together. It's unity. It's community, it's shared mission, it's shared action, it's shared life together. You don't follow Jesus on your own. Lots of people try, it's really, really hard. Join together in following his example. And one of the things I've loved hearing from is life groups who've been meeting in the week in between our Sunday teaching, working this thing out in community. How do we actually do that? Praying for each other, holding each other to account and all of that sort of stuff. 
And there are echoes here, aren't there, of what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, where he's writing to a different church. But note he's saying essentially the same thing. Follow my example, he says, as I follow the example of Christ. Paul seems to be going around saying, hey, copy me as I copy Jesus. And he has the authority to do that because he actually did. So Paul is being really explicit here. You want joy? You want this life of joy? Do what I do. Live as I live. Adopt the mindset that I have. This isn't arrogance. It can be seen as that. But actually, if you understand the tone in which he's writing, he's coming out of a pastoral heart. It's actually a holy confidence, I would argue, being expressed here. He knows. He's done the maths. He's in prison when he writes this, remember. It's costing him everything in an earthly sense. But he's saying, I know more joy than ever. This is how it works, he says. I get it. I know. Trust me. I've seen, I've gone ahead, and I'm saying, follow me. This is the way of life. But then he adds this surprising qualification. Notice in verse 15. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Now, he's not saying here, hey, by the way, I know some of you think I'm wrong, but don't worry, the Holy Spirit's going to just correct you in real time. So just watch out for that. It's not a smug thing here. What he's saying is actually um, something along the lines of, guys, um, this isn't something to get divided over. You may not agree with me on all the specifics, but let's not miss the point. Let's not lose sight of the big picture here. It, it reads in the original text as a, a nonchalant side note. It's almost like a sort of little additional comment. It's not a, he's not, we don't think, addressing a major doctrinal division of opinion in the church. He's not trying to see off at the past someone who's arguing for something substantially different. What he's actually saying is, don't let your disagreements or differences of opinion on lesser things stop you from doing what I'm actually saying, which is living into this big picture life. And this is really important for us, isn't it? Because I don't know whether you've noticed, but Christians are really good at spending a lot of time disagreeing on lesser things. We're spectacularly good at it. And sometimes they are not lesser things and they're really important. And so don't mishear me, but often when you drill into why churches split or why denominations split, it's over really finite, granular stuff at the expense of our shared mission and calling in Christ and the witness to the world of a unity of purpose around that. That's what Paul is getting at here. He's like, look, there is some big stuff that we all have to agree on, but there's a whole load of stuff that I'm not going to worry about. I want you to have the same mindset as me. Partly, I would suggest, because he knows in the fullness of time, those things iron themselves out. But actually what can happen is that we can kind of get lost in this kind of discussion around all sorts of stuff. It's an adventure of missing the point, a good example of that. And we can do that partly because we think it matters and we want to be right and in control and we don't necessarily like what other people think and do. And actually Paul's saying there's a place for that, but don't let it become the thing that takes you off course. But also, I would argue, it's a really good way of avoiding God and doing the things he's calling us to do. We can get distracted with these seemingly important things that we have to iron out before we can actually do the things that God's calling us to do. Paul's like, that's not true. Get on with it. Don't be distracted. Don't give up. Don't compromise. Don't lose your perspective. You get what I'm trying to say. 
So let's not be people who hide behind details or specifics as a way of avoiding this fundamental call to a radical obedience to Jesus. Then verse 16, he kind of reiterates all of this again. He says, let us live up to what we have already attained. That language there isn't like what we've already achieved in our own strength. What he's saying is we've already attained in Christ resurrection from the dead hope and therefore life in the present, living into that hope. Let's, let's, let's live into that. Let's take hold of it. Let's not hang on, remember, but press on. Let's be people who actually go for it in confidence because it's here in part and it will come in the fullness of time. And that little verse is an interesting one. It suggests that nothing he has said in chapter 3 would be new to those he is writing to. We may have missed this, but verse 1 reads this. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. He's saying, actually, stuff to them in this letter that he's already said to them back in the day. Um, I, sometimes, I think I said this last week. I sometimes feel like I say the same thing over and over again. And you're like, yeah, you do. Um, because actually, we have spiritual amnesia, don't we? We forget our story. We forget who we are. And part of the job of the preacher is just to keep resetting our perspective, our understanding. This is who you are. This is what is true. This is why we're here. And Paul essentially is doing exactly the same thing again. This is your story. This is our story. This is actually what matters. Let's not get distracted. Let's not forget that we're called to live this prophetically defiant way of life. So at this point, you might be thinking, okay, so why then is he saying it to them again? What's, what's behind him needing to write this letter to tell them stuff that he's already told them? Well, partly it's spiritual amnesia, but it's also it's clear that in the face of opposition and some internal division, the church had lost some of its vision and focus. You have those kind of that combination of spiritual amnesia, some opposition or resistance, and then the temptations of culture uh, all around you. And before too long, you can quite easily, can't you, as individuals, followers of Jesus, or collectively lose your perspective, lose your vision, forget what you're trying to do. And that's what he's addressing. He's saying, guys, big picture, reset. Let's focus in on that. And it's all too tempting, isn't it, for us, if we're honest, to find ourselves distracted. All too easy, isn't it, for us to get ourselves into some sort of similar thing where we forget something of who we are, we get busy and distracted by the things of this world, which Paul, remember, says are all, counts all as loss. Uh, they're not necessarily bad, but in comparison to Jesus, they're not worth anything. We can have all of these things going on. And then when you add in some cultural resistance, I wouldn't go as far as opposition. I don't think we're opposed. I don't think we're a persecuted group yet. We might do in time. When you have any version of all of that, you and I individually and us collectively, if we're honest, can lose sight of who we are and what we're about. So we need to hear these words again for us, uh, particularly as we kind of navigate the summer, as we kind of enjoy the sunshine, hopefully have some rest and some holiday. It's easy just to get to lose our focus and our perspective. It won't be, as I say, opposition. It might be more social ridicule. <laughs> You're a Christian? Really? Although I think the tide is turning on that increasingly, I think. It's the temptation for many of us of the cultural false comforts. Just to dial down the enthusiasm, dial down the level of engagement, dial down how much we commit. Whereas Paul would be like, no, no, press on. Give up your Fridays to come and help those youth socials. It's the best investment you can make, etc., etc. Do you see what I did there? 
Paul's encouragement, in other words, is don't dial it down. Don't get distracted. Don't settle. Don't compromise. Don't sort of just get put off by the opposition of people around you or the discouragement of people uh, from other people. Remember this and go for it. Don't let the things that might, might be important in the, the midst of church life become the things that take over and stop you as the church going for this stuff that I'm calling you to do. And uh, he, no, he noticed he sets up this very kind of stark contrast kind of hammer home his point. Verses 18 through to 21, it's, it's pretty harsh language. I don't know whether you've known, when you heard it, I don't know whether you kind of slightly bristled. I did. I'm like, oh, I wouldn't talk to, about people who aren't in the church, people who aren't followers of Jesus like that. You know, he's pretty brutal. Talks about them, you know, in such a way that you think, oh, that's a bit harsh. Actually, what he's trying to do here is challenge the church to see. He's kind of trying to get their attention. So it's a polemic. It's a way of arguing with them, making his point. And in the heart of it is this verse 20, where he says, our citizenship is in heaven. Notice the but. So but our citizenship is in heaven. In other words, guys, if you, don't, if you know that you're a citizen of heaven, you will live differently. You will see things differently. But people who aren't followers of Jesus, that's not how they see things. So, so here's the contrast. You see one way, if you've got a perspective that he's had, God wants us to have, or if you don't, you'll see things differently. And he's trying to set up, as I say, this contrast to get their attention. And what he's urging them to do, I think, is to join together with one another in such a way that they seek to imitate him and then take hold of this life as citizens of heaven in and for the world. This is not a unity that comes from all agreeing with each other. Rarely does that happen, and we can expend an awful lot of energy trying to get there. It's a unity that comes from choosing to put things into practice together, choosing to adapt, sorry, adopt a way of life together, working it out in real time as we go. We sometimes say here, don't we, it's as family we go. Anyone here got dysfunctional bits to your family? So, we, you know, if we wait till we're all sorted and we all agree and we can all sign the same doctrinal statement, we ain't going to do nothing. Paul's saying, no, 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 come on, crack on. And, and, and he's saying, he's trying to get them to see this as a contrast, as, as the logical assumption if you're a follower of Jesus. And so he contrasts, as I say, with those in verse 18. Live, he said, who, others, he says, who they live as enemies of the cross of Christ. It's like they live as enemies. Now, interestingly, in the original text, it's actually softer than it sounds in the English. It's saying essentially, because they don't see things with the perspective of Christian, a Christian perspective, in effect, that's how they live. Because you're either for Jesus or against him, said Jesus. So like, if you're not fully aligned with the ways of Jesus, by default, by de facto, you're actually going to be in some way hostile or, or you know, causing an obstacle to that. And he's saying, make the choice. If you are citizens of heaven, then, then you need to be focused not on earthly things like them, but on heavenly things, this mindset idea again and again. And so the question over and over and again for you and for me is, are we going to align ourselves with others in this church community and seek together to wholeheartedly pursue the things of God or not? That's the choice. We're going to press on, keep going, not give up, not compromise, not get distracted, keep reminding each other who we are and what we're here for, 
He says, if you're, if you're not consciously doing that, if you're not all in, then to some extent you risk being just like everybody else. One big adventure in missing the point. The amount of time and money and effort we put into being church, might, we might as well go the whole way, right? Like, why would you just compromise? It doesn't make any sense. So Paul is being scathing, yes, but he's not speaking to those people he's being scathing about. He's using a polemical argument, as I say, to get the attention of the church. If you actually look at how he engaged with people beyond the church, he's very different. He's full of grace, invitational. And, and it's another little moment for us to recognize sometimes we can be exactly the opposite, can't we? Very good at challenging the world around us. Christians can be are unknown as being judgmental and difficult and speaking to people and about people in a way that Paul just doesn't to their face. And he's not actually having a go at non-Christians here. He's trying to explain that the impact of not knowing Jesus. And actually, we can be very good at avoiding the challenge to ourselves, can't we? Justifying our half-heartedness. Paul is challenging the church here, not people beyond it. And he says, our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Guys, do you see it? Can I just give you a reset? This is what you build your life on, that truth not all that other stuff that can get in the way. This is the heavenly prize that he talks about in chapter 3, earlier in chapter 3. Gordon Fee, who's one of the great commentators, Bible commentators, writes this. In a classic expression of the already but not yet framework of his theology, Paul says, in effect, that we are a colony of heaven as we live the life of the future, our true homeland, while presently living in our temporary earthly colony. In other words, when you understand that we live here, from there, so we live into this world from heaven, where we're seated at the right hand of the Father with Jesus, because we're citizens with him, co-heirs with Christ, into this world, then, then we focus in on that, not earthly things, but heavenly things, for the sake of this earth, for the sake of these people, despite opposition, despite struggle, we don't get tempted and distracted. We don't dial it down to conform, but we come in faith and hope and love in humility with this defiant joy in us because of who is in us and therefore are people of joy in the midst of the world for the sake of it. That's how the world changes. And what Paul is saying is if you understand that, if you see it like that, then please don't give up. Please don't get distracted. Please don't forget the point. Don't get caught up in an adventure and missing the point. Hold your nerve. Stand firm. Keep going. Because then, then the miracle of the kingdom of God coming bit by bit, little by little, into the midst of this world can happen. And it happens day in, day out, moment by moment, choice by choice, when you and I together in unity set sail on that course. And so he says in the beginning of chapter 4, here's how you do it, essentially. Two words. Stand firm. Stand firm. We don't fight against the world, but nor do we retreat from it. 
We don't compromise with it when, when it's at the expense of being different and holy and potent, but we seek to serve it. We go into it in faith and hope and love with joy in our hearts because of who we are. And everything else happens through us by the Spirit. What that looks like, lived out, fleshed out in community, because it's together we do it, remember he's saying that, is all the stuff of church, which is why we do all of these things. It's why we have these gatherings on a Sunday, why we have midweek groups, why we have activities and events, and why we have youth and kids and art space and revive and men together and mainly music and I'm going to miss somebody out. All of these things, they're all so that together we can run this race that he's calling us Two. So one of the ways you stand firm is in who you are and what we believe, yes, but it's also standing firm in saying we're going to carry on practicing the way of Jesus together in community at all costs. Turning up, staying late, putting the chairs away, running the tuck shop, being there even if we don't feel like it, sitting through a longer sermon than you would have liked, etc. Easy. Etc. Etc. And Paul says that that is the call on the church. Amen? Amen? Let's be still for a moment. And then we're going to sing a song of worship before Fraser leads us through communion. Father, we recognize that we all too easily get distracted. We all too easily forget our story, our calling. We all too easily find ourselves tempted to compromise, to dial it down, to avoid challenge. And so we pray that as we spend time together, as we worship, as we break bread and gather around your table, that you would show us what you showed Paul, that you give us fresh revelation, what it is to be citizens of heaven, whose hearts are set on heavenly things for the sake of this world. you put in us a defiant joy that motivates us to love and to serve keep us from going off on adventures that miss the point draw us deeper into the unfolding story of what you're doing in the world feed us through your broken bread in a moment that you'd empower us by your spirit poured out upon us and put in us a desire to follow you in community with great faith and hope and love 
people, let's stand as we sing this song together.